ridiculous. Are you kidding me? LeBron James wins it for Cleveland! The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions once again. Hello, welcome to the NBA Breakdown here, powered by Pinnacle with me, James Gregg, Joe Varden of The Athletic and Seth Partnow as well, the stats bomb man who joins us and as does Joe every single episode all the way through this uh, NBA season, which just before a press record on this podcast, uh, Seth did say we are now out of the multiple game a day portion of the NBA season, which has got to be a bit of a relief uh, when you are soaking in as much basketball as you two are, guys. Um, before we kind of preview the last four stage effectively is is where we are now, um, just going to have a little look back because since the last podcast, there's been a few little changes, I suppose, big changes as well. Um, Joel Embiid, regular season MVP over Jokic. Um, I mean, that was a surprise if we were looking back at the preseason odds, but actually having watched all the basketball that you guys have throughout the season, is that such a surprise? You know, how, how come that is the case, Joe? Well, this is a tough time to talk about this because we're talking about it after Joel Embiid goes out in a game seven and just laid a historically bad egg and just looked like anything but the MVP. Um, so we need to start by reminding our listeners that the MVP is not a postseason award. It's a regular season award. Um, and I just, you know, I'll just say to you, as I've been saying since the votes came out, um, it, it was a close decision in terms of like when you sit down at your ballot and you think about this, um, you know, Jokic was it, he's analytically the superior player, but he didn't play nearly as many games as he's used to playing. Uh, and Joel played about as many and was just so thoroughly dominant. Um, and, and actually in, within the final couple of weeks of the regular season, Joker didn't play almost at all. Um, and I actually do think that made the vote from a, from close statistically to what it was, which was, I mean, Joel won comfortably. Um, so, it, you know, I, I voted for, for Embiid. I changed my vote with probably about a week to go, um, maybe a little bit less than that. Um, and for it's for those reasons, you know, I, I looking back, we're all going to feel silly about it just because of what happened in the playoffs. But it is a regular season award. It was close enough. He had never been MVP before, and, and he did a good job carrying the Sixers. Okay. Now the whole way through, I just want to, the listeners who are listening on the podcast platform, they won't have seen Seth's face, right? <laughs> so Seth, the whole way through was rubbing his hands with a huge grin on his face. And I, I can't wait for this. I think we've unleashed him early on here, Joe. <laughs> Uh, Joe said this is a hard day to talk. This is not a hard day at all to talk about this. Uh, I I don't have a ballot. Uh, I I have a, a, a fake. You know, I'm a, I'm a participant in Tim Bontemps Trouble. I had Jokic as the MVP essentially most of the way through the season and through the end of the season. This isn't to take a victory lap, although it is a little. Um, it, <laughs> other than to say that part of the narrative reason why Embiid, even before the last little bit of the season, was. Uh, even kind of seen as close was the supposed playoff uh, problems uh, faced by Nikola Jokic. And while that was always kind of ridiculous on its face, if you actually examined um, one player has uh, essentially always bettered his regular season numbers and, and performance in the postseason, And the other has been 
equivocal, um, has certainly played well against worse opposition uh, when the rubber kind of hits the road later in the series, uh, the, the postseason, things start to get rockier a little bit. So that was the, the facts on the ground. And we kind of have seen that play out again so far. So while I wasn't surprised for narrative reasons that Embiid ended up winning, that's not the direction I would have gone. And uh, I, I'm, I'm smelling the roses and feeling a little vindicated today. So I will indulge after all the campaigning that went on for it, including some unseemly amounts from members of a certain organization. I don't feel bad indulging a little bit of petty today. <laughs> I mean, this was the most important thing for the Sixers in a very long time. Um, organizationally, it was almost it was almost like this was the goal above winning in June. And I think if you know if you put them in front of a microphone, they would argue with that. But if you just watch the behavior, um, getting Joel this award this year is 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 what mattered. And um, you know it was a mission accomplished. But you know, <laughs> certainly, I mean, a good way- analogy. <laughs> 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 the way it went after that, uh, boy, the, uh, you would imagine there would be some changes in, in Philadelphia this this time by this time next year for sure. That's very very interesting. Um, good to get both of your insight on that because actually it's the sort of thing when you're watching from my side of the Atlantic, you miss all this stuff. Um, but that is yeah, that is quite remarkable. So there we go. Something maybe to factor in, perhaps not next season, but in seasons to come. Uh, when we're trying to work out who is going to be the regular season MVP. I suppose the other headline uh, from since we, we last reconvened uh, here on the NBA breakdown was um, the fact that the Bucks are out, were out in the first round, despite having the best regular season record, of course, Coach Bud fired. That wasn't really a, a big surprise. You guys were saying just before we kind of got going, um, the big question is, is Giannis going to stay? That is it. That that is a a big question. I don't think we know the answer to that yet. Um, I think I, I'm not sure he totally knows the answer because I think it's it's very much uh, as these things tend to be, kind of up to him. And I, you know, I, I I wouldn't even start to speculate as far as like does he know what his what what he wants to end up doing. Um, my guess is that it's not not anything that's going to happen before next season. Um, kind of give it. Uh, we'll see what we retool in this offseason after this uh, uh, this this disappointment. But beyond that, I think a lot of it depends on on how that sort of retooling, whether it's the roster, whether it's the coaching staff, uh, plays out. He so a couple of things. He is under contract with no no uh, you know above board tactic of getting out of it for two more full seasons before that player option, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Okay. I think, I think I read that. Yeah, I I think so. So, you you know, I think everybody gets nervous about next summer. uh, If he is going to go into what would be the final year where the team has control, Uh, you know, I put that in, in uh, quotations in the modern era here um, before they like if before they get any kind of further commitment from him about what he's going to do. I think he's been in the league now nine or 10 years close. Uh, and so let's say for sure that he stays this year. Or that, that's not even, we shouldn't say it like that. There's no doubt that Giannis Antetokounmpo will play for the Milwaukee Bucks next season. That is without question. 
what you start talking about is if he does not want to commit to the Bucks uh, next summer beyond what is left on his contract, then you have to start talking about what do you do with him then? Do you risk him opting out of the final year of his deal and going into free agency in which you lose him or you lose him for nothing? Or do you try to trade him? This this happens all the time in the NBA. But I think you run into a scenario where he's one of those players that is virtually untradeable. Like what, what can you get for him that is fair value? Um, and also if you're the Bucks, like if you lose Giannis, I, I think that is an automatic rebuild. I think, I think that is Cavs level. You're going to suck for a few years. And, and the Cavs actually made it back in, in five years. That's not bad. Um, it's not bad at all. And so, you know, I, I, I am in the corner of, I am very leery about Giannis um, not playing the next two years in Milwaukee, just because the Bucks should hold on to him for as long as they can. And the decision for him is going to be like, after being in the NBA for as long as he will have been there in the league, by the time that comes up, does he want to experience other parts of this country? Does he want to see something else? I don't know. He's somebody who has said he nearly quit basketball over anxiety from pressure. So does he want to go somewhere where that's bigger and where he's not comfortable? I I don't know that. I mean, things change for sure. But I just um, I'm leery of this entire conversation. I'll be honest. (laughs) I'll be honest as well. The thing is, you know, you say that about the pressure, you know, wherever he moves, there is a point to be made that he's going to be expected to deliver, right? And sometimes as good as a player as he is, as great as a player as he is and has been down the years, you expect him to deliver wherever he goes. And that might not always be the case. You know, some franchises, some teams might not be the right fit for somebody like that. It strikes me as somebody who does need every, everything to kind of be absolutely perfect um, to to kind of be working. Um, so that will be interesting to see out. And yes, it is 2025 that his, his contract runs out. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, good little um, digression. The books are out. So we'll kind of move on from talking about them. Let's get talking about um, what we do have um, in front of us. And it's the Celtics against the Heat, the Nuggets against the Lakers. Where to start? I think what what we'll do is we'll start talking about the Heat and the fact that they very nearly um, lost to the Bulls and didn't make postseason and then are just now, to put it mildly, turning up. And uh, are they just a team that are absolutely oven ready, built and made for the playoffs? I don't know. I, <laughs> I you know, I, after we do this, I'm going to pack, uh, pack my suitcase and I'll be leaving for Boston uh, to cover the series. And I was at the bubble when they played or for they, they, they played in the bubble. Um, and then they, they played each other last year in the conference finals as well. And to me, this, this matchup just isn't like any of those other years. I, I, I can't really explain exactly how the heat have gotten this far other than uh, circumstances were exactly right for an upset in round one. And then if you do that as an eight seed, obviously you get a more favorable matchup in round two and the Knicks aren't a very good matchup or yeah, I could say it the other way, I guess like that, that's somebody that he could pick on. Um, Jimmy Butler has been awesome and they run a lot of things through Bam Adebayo. 
which is which is cool and and has been effective but they're not as deep as they have been in any of their previous playoff runs uh, as a, as an organization and Boston seems to be finding its stride and I just think matchup wise without that guy that PJ Tucker guy um to to just to slow down Tatum a little bit I I just I I don't see it this time for the heat Seth so it's hard to on paper disagree with anything Joe just said aside from the fact that you know the playoffs tend to be about discovering who can't play as much as anything else like the rotation shrink you see it over the uh, both over the course of individual series and as you get deeper in the playoffs like certain guys just as the level of competition as the ability to prep for teams gets better guys get weeded out and then you've got Miami where uh, Eric Spolstra looks down the bench and says, no, you can play now. And the, the guy, yes, I can, runs in the game and, and performs. I mean, there were there were times across the, the this playoffs where they have closed games with Jimmy Butler and four undrafted players on the floor. So, yes, you, you don't have to scratch the heat very far to get into, well, their next guy in their rotation is Caleb Martin, is Gabe Vincent, is Haywood Highsmith. Those guys have all performed. These guys have all performed, done valuable things this postseason. So uh, you mentioned Jimmy Butler, and he obviously deserves a, 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 a big portion of the credit. But this is once again affirming that Eric Spolster is the best coach in the NBA, and I don't think it's particularly close at this point. And that said, you know, the flip side of this is Boston's a better team on paper. I think we've seen over the last couple of years in the postseason, including this year, um, certainly in the first round against Atlanta, you can argue that they um, kind of did the same thing just in a different order against Philadelphia in terms of dropping game one with, with Embiid not playing. This is a team that kind of has to win five or six games to win four in the postseason because of their uh, their tendency over the last couple of years to uh, self-destruct down the end of games. Uh, stop playing, basically stop playing offense with six, eight, ten minutes left and allow teams to come back in games and drop games they should. So you've got the one team that's maximizing every possible thing and some seemingly impossible things versus the more talented team that has kind of that uh, has used every bit of cushion that they that they have. And, and uh, so I think that the Celtics should be favored. I think that, you know, we might come on to it later, but I think that some of the Certainly the championship win prices are doing a little bit of a disservice to Miami and the fact that they, okay, we went into the first round saying Miami's no danger to to Milwaukee. Oops. Um, I think, I think we, we have to be very leery of falling into a similar, uh, similar trap with respect to the heat and the Celtics. Certainly. Well, just to, just to point that out with pinnacle, I mean, look, I don't make the odds, right? None of us do. Um, just looking here, the as as we record this, um, Miami Heat are twelve point nine two, um, which is, I mean, miles like miles, the, the sort of kind of the fourth favourites for the overall title. And actually, we'll, we'll sort of talk about some of these as well later on. But on Pinnacle, there is also the the series bets as well, and even there, you know, they're so. Everybody's scared stiff of the Celtics. Of course they are, who are the favourites, by the way, still at two point naught. Um, then the Denver Nuggets, and it's quite tight between them and the Lakers at the moment. But that is that is quite astonishing that they're that far out at 12s. 
you know, when the other teams are like two and three to get the job done. Um, I suppose the argument is that actually we do see different teams in the playoffs uh, to, up to a point, but doing it all the way through is 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 very difficult, isn't it? That's that's kind of the, you know, what I'm, I suppose what I'm trying to say is is that cream rises to the top in the end, right? That's the whole point of the the seven game series. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I've forgotten the statistic because I just threw it in the memory waste bin. I covered the heat in the play-in. And when they won, when they came back and beat the Bulls, somewhere in my story, I said that they, uh, that no eighth place team has gotten to like the Eastern Conference or gotten to the conference finals since uh, it's, it's been like 30 years, I think. I think, I think um, it was the, uh, the Knicks in 99. If yeah. If I remember correctly. Yeah. So it's been forever. Uh, forever in a day. And, and, uh, this is just not something that happens. Um, suppose Spolstra, I, I agree. I, I absolutely agree with that. I think Spolstra is, is the, the best coach we have in the league right now. Um, and then I think we should also, we should mention that the Heat couldn't make threes all year. And now they are again. I'm not sure why. Maybe Seth could explain that. But but they are the, the ball's going in the hole again. Max Struess has found it. Duncan Robinson, who who I think had his worst year as a pro, is uh is he's forced into playing and he's making these shots now. Um and Kyle Lowry has been really effective off the bench. And then the other thing is is that Kevin Love, and this is maybe something to talk about, Kevin Love has continued to be playable and effective uh, in these playoffs. And the Cavs dumped him because they didn't think he would be. Um, I think the Celtics pose a really huge matchup problem for Kevin, um, but he's he's been viable and, and he has been an excellent defensive rebounder and throwing the outlet pass off, the, off those defensive rebounds has turned the Heat into a better team than they were for much of the regular season. I, can that, is that something that can, that can last in this series? Hmm. Seth, is it something uh, that can last in the series? <laughs> that is sort of the first big kind of matchup question. Um, I think that Joe Missoula, uh has gotten praise and rightly so for going back to starting uh, Robert Williams and Al Horford. Um, I, I suspect that that might reverse kind of uh, along for reasons uh, Joe is talking about. I think there's a place for Kevin Love to go. Defensively, if Boston is starting two bigs and if they aren't, then you get into weird questions like, well, do you have him guard Marcus Smart or something like that? And um, that might be something worth exploring, honestly. Uh, I think you can you, if you can induce the Celtics to run as good as Marcus Smart was at certain points in uh, uh, certainly in game six of the of the of the previous round. I think it, you probably like it if you induced Boston to run more of their offense through Marcus Smart. So maybe there's something to, to try there, but I do think that is that is one of the the, the the initial interesting matchup wrinkles of the series. Let's, Isn't this the Boston team? Isn't this the the deepest of the Tatum Brown era? And I kind of feel like they have. If, if this group doesn't win this year, the group's not going to win. Like they they've they've gotten to the conference finals against an eight seed. Um, I I don't want to to continue to disrespect Denver. <laughs> As I have for for all this all this time, but I just think this lines up right. They're, they're going to be at home throughout the remainder of the playoffs. They're deeper than they've ever been in this with this group, and they've been there. They were just there the last year. Um, Tatum rose up in the the most important game of the season. Um, like you said, they they went back to Robert Williams, which 
I get it. Maybe that doesn't make sense against the Heat. But overall, that's something they have to continue to do, even if they don't start that way, because of the matchup problems with everybody else that it, that it that it causes. So I think they're there. I think if Boston doesn't win the finals now, it's not going to happen. Um, let's have a little look at the West because the Lakers saw off the defending champions uh, in six games. What's changed for them? I know we spoke a little bit about the Lakers, actually, to be fair, on our last record, but we've got a bit more kind of a sample size, a bit more of a focus, obviously, now, certainly now they're kind of in the last four and in this Western Conference final. So what has changed for them? Anthony Davis was obviously a bit of a superstar. You know, his numbers were really, really good. So... What what was it? You know what what is it, and how seriously can we take them now as kind of title contenders overall? This is a good, actually, a good segue from Boston. Insofar as what what, what Joe's talking about, like especially when Boston shrunk their rotation to seven players, they have like it, it's uh, they have seven top seventy five or thereabouts players, and that's their entire rotation. And again, we talked earlier about guys becoming unplayable in the playoffs. A lot of the playoffs is just not not having to put bad players on the floor. And I think that uh, with the trades the Lakers made in season, um, they have gotten to the point where that is mostly true. You may not know necessarily game to game who those, those, you know, six, seven, eight guys are, but they, they have enough guys who you can reasonably count on that they can get 240 quality minutes. Um, obviously, AD and LeBron are going to get the lion's share of the credit. Austin Reeves has has emerged. I think you know he's, he's someone who is going to get uh, paid quite well this offseason based on his postseason play. But even uh, I think an unsung hero, really, of the um, of of the Golden State series was Dennis Schroeder. Um, uh, uh, in large part, that series turned on the fact that I think Steph Stephen Curry um, didn't the last couple of games was not able to go full staff. And I think a large part of that is the fact that Schroeder really wore him down defensively over the course of the series. Um, whether there are the guys on Denver for whom that necessarily um, means the same thing, I don't know, but that's the example of kind of the role players that LA is getting so that they can always have these five man units that make sense on the floor. Um, and I think that's the big difference from what we saw earlier in the year where there were just sometimes just like, man, how does this lineup even work? And they just have to do that so much less now than they did, you know, through February. Joe, thoughts? Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> I've I have a few. I I um, th- there's been this sentiment out there that this is the best supporting cast that LeBron has ever had. And there have been times where I've actually taken the bait on that. And I think shame on me because I had been a beat writer on some of his teams. And I I don't think that this Laker team is better or deeper than the 16 Cavs and certainly not 17 Cavs who lost in five games to the Warriors anyway. But that was the KD Warriors at at their peak. Um, So I don't think that's true. But I do think that... Rob Polinka had had made a number of changes to this roster that that work that made more sense. And what we have seen is if you just make competent decisions around these two superstars, albeit one of them is aging and hasn't played as fast um, or been as dominant uh, in these playoffs, we can't argue that. 
But just having guys that just make sense around LeBron and AD has enabled them to sort of be who they are and and carry this team through the playoffs. And I know I just said that LeBron hasn't looked like the same LeBron. That that is true, but he's still over 25 and 5 just about every night. And then in the closeout game in game 6, he goes for I think 30 points, 9 rebounds and 9 assists. He he was dominant. But he's playing against a guy who at least every other game <laughs> goes for 20 plus points and 15 plus rebounds. Now Anthony is not as um consistent as a dominant superstar should be. But when he is on, he's playing like Wilt. And then in the meantime, you have these other guys around them that just make enough sense. Like I want to give Austin Reeves a ton of credit. And I I do agree he will be paid handsomely. But the first three games in the series against the Warriors, he wasn't very good. And then he turned it back on. Uh, Rui Hachimura has been pretty steady and 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 great coming off the bench for the Lakers but I mean he's had a couple nights of six points um D'Angelo Russell at times took ridiculously bad shots and but but also held his own uh, enough against a guy like Steph and was able to stay on the floor and and then like like Seth said Schroeder he he's an adult and plays that way and and he makes a big difference coming off the bench so I just think surrounding these two superstars with players that don't just that just don't do that just makes sense standing next to them is really all the Lakers have needed so far. I just want to, I mean, look, we've got five minutes or so until we kind of wrap this up guys, but we're obviously going to touch on the Denver nuggets before we kind of conclude. Um, and then let the actual basketball, um, see what we talked about is, (laughs) is going to prove us, prove us right or not. Um, but Denver Nuggets. Somebody asked me the other day, are the Denver Nuggets the best side in the entire league? And I said no, and then kind of struggled to work out who was. But then actually, if I'm going by the odds and the the trade is at pinnacle, the, the Denver Nuggets are actually outsiders to beat the Lakers, and they are the second favorites to win the entire competition. So the fact that they're out at two and a half to win this seven game series on the exact results page on pinnacle.com, by the way, for those interested in having a look at that, because it's quite interesting. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised and I'm suppose a lot of the listeners are trying to find a bit of value with what we're talking about here in the betting market, but in pure basketball terms, because that's what you two specialize in here, the, the Denver Nuggets, are they, are they going to beat the Lakers first and foremost? Forget the NBA title overall. Are they going to beat the LA Lakers? Uh, you're you're asking for a a a a 100 prediction, and we don't do that. But um, no, I think it's funny you mentioned we have about five minutes left, and we're just getting to talking about the Denver Nuggets. It feels like the same as it ever was. I mean, they've been the best team in the West all season. They've been the across the entire playoffs. They've been, I think, comfortably the best team. Um, you know, I, I the you know, some of it, okay, Minnesota wasn't the toughest opposition, but they handled Phoenix pretty comfortably. And I think we're, we're on track to do so before Phoenix started getting getting injuries as well. The, the Suns needed some pretty incandescent shooting from, from Devin Booker in particular to even win a couple of games. Um, so I think they should be decent faves against the Lakers. I think they're a better basketball team than, than, than the Lakers. And frankly, of the teams that are left, I think they're the the best team remaining uh the combining kind of the stuff we've been talking about about not playing bad players with also having the best player on the floor most nights uh Nikola Jokic has been across the playoffs 
with due respect to Jimmy Butler and Devin Booker has been the best player in the playoffs as well. Um, yeah. You know, easy for me to say, having started the pod crowing about uh, MVP things, but I'm going to, you know, stick with that and say that I think the Nuggets have the, um, I think they have the best chance of anyone to to, to win the title. Um, the only reason you might say Boston is because you think that's an, an easier semifinal matchup than the Nuggets have with the Lakers. And that's, that's fair enough, I suppose. Yeah, Jay, what are your thoughts on, on the Nuggets? I mean, you could argue that they are the best team in the league, um, as, as Seth has done, and, and I'm kind of thinking the same now um, after my friend asked me that question the night. But but in terms of this matchup, is it is it just the, the sheer LA Lakers, LeBron James, Anthony Davis factor that is perhaps making people doubt the fact that the Nuggets actually have been the best team all season long in that conference? Yeah, I think the the Denver Nuggets have never done it. They've never even gotten to a finals and they had this opportunity in 2020 to go through the Lakers and and I think they won one game in that series if I if memory serves. Um and then on the other side, like I know we've spent a lot of time talking about the Lakers, but again, you've got these two champions who have somehow made it this far and especially the one guy number 6 when you get him into a conference finals, it's really hard to bet against him. And um, I, I agree that that Jokic has been the best player in the playoffs. You know, you love the supporting cast with Jamal Murray and, and Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. I think that Contavious Caldwell Pope, a former Laker on that 2020 team, I think he makes a huge difference for them. He's the piece they didn't have. They've had, they have him now. Um, but Anthony Davis can guard. Jokic. He can. And I don't know if Anthony can stay on the floor. Um, I don't know if he can be consistent, but he's one of the few guys who can give uh, Joker a problem. And if he does, this, this series gets tighter. And we we just, we know that one side has been there before. And so that is the hesitation. You know, the Nuggets, the Nuggets have not gotten the credit they deserve, including for me. There's no doubt about that. They've been number one in that conference all season long. They're right where they should be. They look great against the Suns, but it is the opponent and the fact of like until you have done it, it's hard to it's hard to to be on your side. Every team had never done it once, though. That's what you got to think, haven't you? Um, there's always been a time when all the great franchises down the years had that breakthrough win. It's going to be interesting to see how it pans out. We could talk so much more at length about this. The next time we will convene is for the actual finals of the NBA and. Um, the just to mark your card. So we're recording this on Monday. So two days out from Wednesday night when Denver Nuggets up against the LA Lakers. And that is when it all kicks off. Um, best of luck to you, Joe, on your travels and following uh, that Eastern Conference final series. Uh, Seth, we shall reconvene next time. No MVP chat, though. Um, <laughs> it's a good way to rev him up, though, Joe, isn't it? I like it. It sure is. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe maybe if, if the Lakers beat the Nuggets, Joe will uh, will, will flip it around on me and, and he can he can rub his his hands together and uh, and, uh, and, and and do a little bit of gloating. And so I, I uh, look forward to that. Joe, Seth, thanks so much. We'll be back next time here on the NBA Breakdown. Remember, all odds were correct at the time of recording. There is a load of other sort of pieces as well online breaking down some of the stuff that we've talked about here on the podcast online on the online betting resources page on pinnacle.com. So have a look on there. All odds correct at the time of recording, like I mentioned. And we'll be back next time on the NBA Breakdown. Thanks for listening. 